Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Apollo 13 Minute, where each and every day, Monday through Friday, we go over one minute of probably the greatest space history movie ever made, the 1995 Ron Howard-directed feature, Apollo 13. I am one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane, and we have a special guest host. That's right. I am Jack Swigert. <laughs> no, no, that's that's not funny because a uh, little little disrespect to to Jack, but no, I am I am Brett Stillo of Five Minutes of Trouble, Five Minutes of Bonsai, and Twelve Chimes. It is midnight. Perhaps you've heard of me. If you haven't, you will. Hi, Jim. Hi. Thanks so much for being on the show. And you know, so much like Jack, you are a last minute replacement for the uh, whatever the non vacationing version of uh, Chris <laughs> Henry is, is because Chris, poor old Chris or lucky Chris is uh, out there with the sticks uh, directing in hundreds and hundreds of warbirds so that they line up very nicely at the uh, EAA's Air Venture in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. So Chris, if you're listening, we're having a great time here without you, even though I know you just you're you're having uh, the fun dial set to 11. Yeah, um, Chris, I hope you're wearing sunscreen. Yeah. And uh <laughs> hey, you know, if you had to miss the show, that's a pretty good reason. I'm I'm, I'm just glad you don't have the measles or you <laughs> yes. think you have the measles, though you're not going to yes, get the measles. Yes, if Yeah, if Hal had the measles maybe because they're both working up there. <laughs> so, uh but we're yeah, we're we're here in the middle of uh well, actually we start with an interesting scene of um uh, Jack Swigert getting to uh, whoop and holler in his uh, what I'm assuming would be the Holiday Inn Cocoa Beach. Even though, as I remember at the time, I, when I was a kid, I was, we stayed at the uh, at the Holiday Inn in Cocoa Beach. My parents and and I stayed there. This does not look like uh, the Holiday Inn Cocoa Beach because, uh, for one thing, the uh, it, in the standard Holiday Inn configuration of the '60s, the uh, bathroom was at the back end of the of of the uh, hotel room and it didn't have a side door as uh the young uh, brunette is walking out of the uh yeah uh with the towel as want to do it's it's a nice substitute but it doesn't seem quite right for the spring of 1970 and a holiday inn yeah curtains are too long too many curtains for one thing and they seem to be looking out i, I mean I, I, the only windows at the holiday inn uh cocoa beach as i recall faced the sea, the, the Atlantic Ocean there. So you should have like a nice view of the ocean or a pool uh, on the first floor that uh, uh, the uh, the windows either face the pool or the or the ocean. And really the windows, it's the classic American motel that you would have windows at the front of the of the motel room, the standard two story um, facing out there. So this isn't this doesn't really jive. But, you know, I guess this is what they went with for that 70s feel. Even a big budget movie has a budget. And, yeah. you know, you, you spend things uh, where you need to. And we're going to see a scene in a moment where that that's where the big bucks went. So this is just that, sort of a transitional thing. So it's okay. We forgive yeah. you, Apollo 13. Yeah, it's great. And, uh, you know, I, I do admire in movies, I, I could never do this, but everybody has perfectly uh, folded towels. They're almost like, you know, uh, hotel swans nowadays. It just <laughs> Everything is perfectly knotted and tied, and it's probably stitched. You know, I'm sure Kevin Bacon had to stitch himself into that uh, that towel, but it's just such a perfect <laughs> perfect towel when you're wandering around. One thing I wish they had put on the Blu-ray is how many times he had to do the war whoop uh, here when he, uh, when he jumped up in the air. <laughs> uh, Million six. Take six, yeah. <laughs> do you know... Uh, in reality, did Jack react this way? 
You know, it, that's one of the problems. I was reading um, Lost Moon, and they they discussed Jack being you know being a part of the thing, but they he was ready to go at a moment's notice. But as he was a single and rather a solitary uh, man, uh, nobody really knows his uh, his reaction to it. Yeah, I mean, he was. I think. Everyone, from what we understand, everyone was honored to be just part of the backup team, you know, backing up Jim Lovell's crew. And uh, Jim Lovell is kind of like, you know, he's at the le- the level of John Glenn. He'd been, you know, on the on the backside of the moon, and uh, still, you know, he was still in the in, in the astronaut corps, and he was ready to go again and be, you know, be on the moon on the moon and be the one, two, three, four, fifth man on the moon. So, you know, quite a quite a, a role. So I would imagine, you know, if, if Jack didn't do it outwardly, this was probably what happened when he got the call from Deke saying, Hey, would you want you wanna go to you wanna drive the drive the command module behind the moon? Exactly. Sure. Exactly. Yeah. This is this is internally what he's uh he's screaming in his head, but we have to remember these are these are test pilots and they yeah. must to quote another movie, maintain an even yes. frame. So Yes. Yes. Uh the and it's a nice, I mean, that, that beautiful uh, counterpunch that you get from the whoop of joy to uh, Gary Sinise as Ken Mattingly getting the news that he ain't going to the moon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this, the rest of the minute, it's really all about Mr. Gary Sinise and his you know, magnificent job of acting here, uh, conveying a lot of emotions, uh, mixed emotions here. Yeah, I mean he's he's thinking of the immediate stuff like I'm not on the mission, I'm not going on the command module now. Well, maybe I can talk somebody out of it. Well, <laughs> you know, and it's like and he knows it's you know, it's inside of a week before the flight. It's two days before two days before the flight and you know, you're not you're not going to get that hatch cl- uh, slam shut and you're not going to have a Saturn V throw you at the moon. And your whole life has led up to this moment and it's been taken away. That's a really good point. I, I took a crash course on uh, this mission. Of course, I, you know, I read The Lost Moon years ago, and I've seen the movie, but uh, I had to catch up. And uh, But that's a really good point. If this was maybe a month before the mission or two weeks, I mean, that would still sting, but three days... Yeah. yeah, I mean, this is this is worse. I mean, the only thing that would be worse is if you got in the elevator, you know, on the gantry, <laughs> and they say, "No, no, you're you're staying in the elevator." It's and you're, you know, they're sitting here in the simulator room. They're they're looking at, uh, you know, in the background. What I'm assuming is a a simulation of the. Uh, well, actually, I think it's a hyperbaric chamber, but it it looks kind of like the docking probe uh, models that they've used. But you know, you're sitting around all the equipment you had just been practicing on, and then your uh, your commander tells you, "No, you're not going." Yeah, and you're right. the The transition from uh, Swigert's joy to Mattingly's, uh, he's stunned. I mean, the the genius of Sinise's performance here is that he's saying nothing. He looks like he's just been punched in the stomach, and he just ha- doesn't have the wind to say anything. And his eyes sort of darting back and forth. And uh, the first, you know, 30 to 40 seconds of this scene, you think he's alone in this room. He has to process this all in front of the people he's been closest to for years here. They've been practicing this for years. 
And now, you know, he has to share his emotions with them. And they all, you know, they all know they, they can read each other's thoughts, basically, because they've all been through these many simulations of death and near death. So they all know how each other reacts. So these other two guys knew how he was going to take it. Like, we're going to fight it. We're going to do something else. We're going to try B, C, D, and E, you know, all the other plans you can think of. But it's, you know, it, the the thing, though, is it's it gets more and more awkward for uh, for poor Fredo, who is what, you know, it's the commander breaking up with his command module pilot. And Fredo has to kind of sit there watching the breakup going on. Yes, you just go along with it. And just excellent composition and execution of this scene that, again, we think uh, Gary Sinise, Ken Mattingly, is, is almost talking to himself. He's having a, a monologue. And that camera slowly pulls back. And it's not till second 45 that we see Jim Lovell's shoulder. And you get the sense of the isolation. And what you just said, these guys have to break the news to their command module pilot. They are a good distance away. You know, screen-wise, it looks like they're about 20 yards away from Ken. So they're already distancing themselves. So there's a lot of coldness here. Yeah, yeah, there's no, I mean, there's no, this isn't like comfortable furniture. They're all sitting in metal chairs, and they're in a very sterile environment. The white floors, the white walls, uh, the rows of machines. I mean, there's no, there's very little humanity involved here. It just seems like, um, you know, the cruel equations have, have come, into, come into play that he poses too much of a risk to the success of the flight. Exactly. Now, again, it's been a while since I've read Lost Moon, is this pretty much the way it, it happened? Did they break the news to him here, or was it maybe a little less dramatic? Although, you know, the drama here is wonderfully low-key. They don't go for a big kabang. It's really the silence and the emptiness. But, you know, you'd think this yeah, the, might be done in, in Deke Slayton's office or, or some other place yeah, like that. Yeah, that's the way I understood it was it was with Deke and with Jim. And I don't, I'm not sure if Fredo was there, but I think it was with, you know, it was in a uh, a little bit less uh, harsh environment. Yeah. That it's not, but, but that wouldn't play well on, um, you know, on the big screen. No. And the idea, you know, that we, we have to fight it, we have to do this and that. It's, I don't think it, I don't think it was taken as harsh as it was here. But again, for purposes of the movie, you had to, you had to see this as uh, he, yeah, we're going to get into this more tomorrow. The sense of not only has he been isolated from the rest of the team, it turns into more of a feeling of a betrayal by, uh, you know, I, I mean, Mattingly kind of the way the way it comes across here is Mattingly um, acting like this is some kind of a betrayal by Jim Lovell. And the, and I'm I, from reading Lost Moon, I I feel like there was no sense of that that he was betrayed by Lovell. This is right. just. Right. You know, it, like you said, medical guys. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's a, a very, you know, fighter pilot thing to say. It's the guys yeah. who don't fly who are trying to tell us how to do our job again. And, you know, those guys, his his disdain, the medical guys, uh, the guys who keep me from flying. Yeah. But I, I think it's a really nice concession that I think Apollo 13 does throughout. It didn't. Maybe it didn't happen exactly this way, but you get a sense of it. And you know, maybe what they're doing in this scene is taking, yeah, all as you said, all those years of training together. And I mean, 
Ken Mattingly had to be crushed, even though maybe he didn't yeah. say those words. I'm sure he kept it inside. But again, three days before the flight. Uh, yeah, you know, and it's he didn't know that Deke would put him on a later. You know, he was still part of the rotation, and as you know, as you you serve as uh, backup on one, you wind up on the other. So he really just traded places with Jack Swigert. He became the backup. You know the the de facto backup pilot right. for uh, for Apollo 13, and he winds up uh, going to the moon anyway. So, yeah. it, you know, it's just on a later flight, which was fortunate yeah. that they, they still had enough money left in the budget. As I recall, a little dramatic device, as, you know, at the end of the movie, some two hours from now, there's a little epilogue that mentions that Ken does get his flight on Apollo 16. I would imagine, again, realistically... You know, there's Deke and Jim, and they said, "Well, Ken, we got good news, we got bad news for you." And they, I would assume he, they gave him the rotation news a little sooner yeah. than this. <laughs> yeah, I would think that would be like a at least some kind of a, if not a placebo, but it's just some kind of a, a mild analgesic for yeah. for what's going on here. That you you'll go on a later flight, you know, and assuming that we have later flights, you'll be on it. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, this is another one of the great things in this film is you get another chance of um, this fantastic interplay by great actors. I mean, mm-hmm. all three of them, all three of them, as as they're working on each other, uh, they let Gary Sinise take over the scene, and he, you know, and and by expressing no emotion, they're using that uh, that Kuleshov effect to great you know advancement. We're, we're, talking earlier on film terms the the Kuleshov effect is if you look at scenes in succession that you see somebody reacting to something horrible and then you see somebody with no expression on their face you read empathy in the other person's face so when we're looking at when we're looking at uh, Gary Sinise as Ken Mattingly being upset about things and then we cut back to uh, Tom Hanks and Bill Paxton looking at him with absolutely no expression on his face the audience reads back into that the pain and the fact you know like the idea that they're both they they knew that this suffering was going to happen and they were just going to have to sit through it like they're going to the dentist office and but we're we're we as the audience are impressing that on their faces they're not giving us an emotion here but that's that's their job as actors is to hold that emotion in check so that you can you you let the audience add the emotion to the faces. Absolutely magnified that way. Now, I, I do have one question about Gary Sinise. I don't know if you have an answer for this, but do you know how he was brought into the cast? How he was uh, how he was cast? How he was brought into the project? Was it was it Hank saying, "Hey, I just worked with Gary Sinise. It'd be great to work with him again." Or do you, do you know how he got involved? I, I don't know how he wound up in here. Uh, he had, I mean, he had he had previous work. Was he in um, Backdraft? I can't oh. remember now. <laughs> Without looking uh, at IMDb, I don't think he was in Backdraft. I'm just I, I've, I'm thinking he had previous work with with a bunch of them before. Yeah, I mean, just um, a year or two before, of course, Forrest Gump. Yeah, so, yeah. But I, and I would think that when you're watching Forrest Gump, you'd be saying, "Oh, well, let's put them together in this one because they did have that chemistry." Exactly. But I'm, uh, exactly. Uh, but that was a you know that was a Zemeckis film, so maybe it was uh, Hanks had had pushed him into that. Hopefully someday we can have uh, <laughs> Gary Sinise. Gary, if you're listening, please. Gary, you're always welcome. You know how to you know how to reach out. Reach out to to Chris at uh, EAA because he he's right there. Well, well, well. This is where I blow the chance to have Gary Sinise on 
because of course he's a great actor. Never never seen a, a role I didn't you know like him in. But you know if there's one thing about Gary Sinise as Ken Mattingly, it's it's the physical appearance. You know we look at Tom Hanks and while he's we kind of see a little of Jim Lovell's. You know, his, there's yeah. a you can believe that. Uh, I think Bill Paxson and Fred Hayes could be brothers. Uh, Catherine Quinlan, Catherine, Kathleen Quinlan, there I said yes. it, as there Marilyn, perfect casting. I think I even saw Jim Lovell in an interview say how excited he was. It's like, it's just like Marilyn. But uh, physically, at least, Gary Sinise looks nothing like Ken Mattingly and vice versa. And if we were going just on a more physical level, uh, I would think John Malkovich or yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Woody Somebody Harrelson. Would. Yeah, somebody would who would be willing to shave their head, for example. But uh, I don't, you know, I I've I've been a Gary Sinise fan since the first time I remember uh, seeing him was in the Stand, the uh, ABC miniseries, oh, right. he played Stu Redman, and he just jumped. I, I'd read the Stand years ago, and I always pictured Molly Ringwald, you know, as as his girlfriend, at, uh, as Fran. But uh, you know, putting Gary Sinise in as Stu Redman was just absolutely the perfect casting he carried that whole movie just amazingly and then uh yeah and then he then he popped up in uh in forrest gump and things and it was like you could start saying to yourself oh this guy is a real name now so by the time of uh you know by the time of apollo 13 he was lieutenant dan so i I would guess that uh that ron howard said well why don't we get him again because we had the good chemistry yeah i'm just sort of nitpicking uh, it's still yeah. that, I mean, again, this performance, you know, I think he really does capture the essence of, you know, one of these alpha male type A personality, gung-ho, go fever kind of guys who's just been given, yeah. uh, uh, he's he condemned or something like that. He's just been given the worst news. Interesting, just as a side thing, as I was preparing for the podcast today, I was internet surfing and i saw a photo of the apollo 13 crew swigert lovell hayes and they're all in suits and there are the moons behind them and it's posed and it looks very you know sears photoshop yeah and i just thought wow this is three days two days before they go and somebody dragged them into a studio and made them put on suits and uh you know their their smiles look very sincere, but I sincere. Did I just say sinise? Their smiles look very <laughs> sinise. But I I had to think what was really going on behind that photo. Yeah, I mean I was picturing that they dragged them over to the Kennedy. I, I think I know the picture you're talking about, and they're like kind of looking at a, a globe of the moon. Yeah. It, and and like you said, this this year's photo store uh, background with moon and stars. Here we go, and. and the only thing I can think of is that they probably had like at the Kennedy Visitor Center, you could get a picture, you know, get your portrait here. And yeah. just, they just rolled in with a Hasselblad and click, click, and off we go. But, but I, they, you know, it's that's what the the, pre, the public affairs office needed, and that was what drove most of, you know, I mean, driving NASA was they had to get they, they had to get pictures out and get the keep keep on it because that's what made the budget. Exactly. Not quoting again from another movie, which is somewhat similar: No Bucks, No Brock Rogers. So no we, Buck Rogers, yeah. yeah. We got to do the promo, but I, can you also imagine the grumbling and swearing from these guys? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's probably they were probably like big green binders of you know how to fly a command module 
opened up on a on a table yeah. next to them. It's like, okay, take the picture. Now we got to get back. Yeah. Now you know, to be fair, they they've been working alongside Jack Swigert for you know, months and maybe years, but you know, they suddenly have to come together and be a team in seventy two hours, and then somebody from the public affairs department, you know, says, "Hey, can we get some pictures?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, Flame by thrower. this po- by this point, the uh, uh, the hypergolic fuels had been loaded, and the countdown had already started. I mean, you can't. There was no way in. On the service module, once you loaded up the hypergolic fuels for the uh, for the reaction control system, there was no there, you'd have to like cut the pipes and drain this highly corrosive hydrazine out of the you know out of the the, the tanks. So there isn't <laughs> if they weren't going to launch now, they would have to wait until sometime in 1971, simply because they'd have to wreck the system just to drain it. Yeah, yeah. So I I do not envy the job of that photographer. Yeah. <laughs> just- just five minutes, fellas. Come yeah. on! But so to the it, to the credit it, of those guys, they totally sold it. Oh yeah! In that yeah, photo, yeah, just yeah. hey, we loved having our picture taken. Sure, why not? Why not? Uh, well, I, but, uh, yeah, just a lot of a lot of pain. Yeah, just, it, little... I I got obsessed with something in this scene, something I've been obsessed with actually for quite some time, and that's uh, Fredo and Ken's powder blue NASA flight suits. Yes. I know you and Chris talked at length about uh, Jim Lovell's beautiful mustard yellow jacket, but uh, have you talked flight suits? No, no. These are these are stunning. This is the uh, like the baby blue of all Bond movies of the 60s. Yeah, nice. yeah. I, yeah. It's funny. I would have called it a powder blue, but yeah, that seemed to be a really popular color in that era. You see it in sports teams like the, the Houston Oilers. And yes. uh, the Kansas City Royals, powder blue or sky blue or baby blue, as you as you referred to it, it was that that light blue was was popular at the time. Uh, you know, a few years after this, we see NASA going with you know a more of a navy blue or a darker yeah. blue or a royal blue flight suit. Uh, you know, there's something almost dainty about that light blue flight suit, which uh, like a little known fact about me, I'm. Uh, I collect flight suits, or I did. I I ah, had an intervention yes. and uh, I stopped. <laughs> After running out of coat hangers, yeah, yeah, because you know you can only wear them so often, right? But uh, yeah, these are uh, they aren't your typical military issue. They're they're custom made. I've, I've for years I've been trying to find out, you know, where they got them. If they were done at a tailor shop, was there a special place they were ordered? But they're they're different from your typical military flight suits of the era. I mean, you look at sort of these bigger collars on Ken and uh, Fredo suits. And again, that, yeah. that light blue color. Very cool. Yeah, and the, the, the great pen hold, you know, not the typical pocket protector thing, but worn on the sleeve so you can just reach over and grab one off your arm. Right, and, uh, right. what looks like a compass. I'm, I'm looking at, uh, at Gary's, uh, Gary's pockets there, and it looks like he has two pens and the top half of a compass maybe. Or a quarter of a compass, and uh, um, I think he's got like a a Velcro waist cincher. You know, they used to be snap yeah. buttons, and if you really want to go deep into the flight suit uh, rabbit hole, if you look at the similar suits that the Mercury guys wore, but they were they were far more customized, and there was this black piping around the zippers, and you know, cinched oh. belts and. Uh, very cool uniforms. You just you don't dare gain five pounds in those because. <laughs> 
you're, you're going to have to readjust all the Velcro. No, sir. <laughs> uh, um, wow. And I'm sure it's just a lot of it for easy access to put on uh, telemetry stuff if they want to check you out while you're you're wearing the suit while you're in the uh, the vomit comet and stuff and checking your heart rate and things right and hanks isn't what you know jim lovell is not wearing he's he's going with the classic izod and uh cement khakis yeah and you know that was something one little tiny tiny thing that i question i mean of, of all the things to criticize about a scene was yeah the, his little alligator on his izod shirt i felt like you know, so many of the photos you see these guys, they're wearing the polyester knit Banlon shirts, which are kind of similar, yeah. but they have, a, you know, they have bigger collars. And that looks a little more modern, a little more contemporary to the 1990s. So, eh, maybe, maybe they just a quick, uh, a quick wardrobe change or something like that. But, yeah, I like the, the idea that maybe Fredo and Ken were training, doing something in the simulator. And so Jim comes in and says, uh, hey, guys. Yeah, it's gonna be bad. And he was—he's also, you know, he's—he's he, he's kind of put on his manager hat. But instead of putting on his manager hat, he put on his uh, casual Friday, you know, part of the part of the suits. I mean, this is not—he doesn't wear a suit, but this is this is just showing you he's not part of this. He's part of the decision-making process that is about to cut it, it cut him out of the uh, of the mission. That's a that's a really good point because, as you said, he's dressed casually, but he's not dressed like a pilot right now. So he's taking yeah. the other. He's on the other side. Yeah, yeah. He's he's on Deke's. He he he's basically Deke's proxy. Yeah, and just saying you're you're gone. <laughs> anyway, this is a fascinating minute, and we've got a lot more of this particular scene to talk about tomorrow. So when we when we hold off on that until uh, until Thursday, so we can uh, chat about that. But um, but let's talk about your uh, your particular current activities, uh, especially your. Um, your foray into uh, midnight drama. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I do podcasting. Maybe some hey. of you folks have heard about that. And, uh, yeah, real quick, I've, I've done two movie minute podcasts or five minute podcasts because I dare to be different with my partner, Josh Horowitz. We did Five Minutes of Trouble, which is all about big trouble in little China. In little China. Big trouble in little China. There we go. Diction. And Five Minutes of Bonsai, which is about... The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai across the Eighth Dimension. I'm sure Buckaroo was a NASA consultant. Which Jim, you were you were good enough to be a guest on both of those shows, and I feel honored to be on both of them because they are among my favorite uh, uh, shows. The the Richterverse is far ranging and eminently rewatchable. Oh, I like the sound of that. The Richterverse, and there really needs to be more from the Richterverse. I know. Yes. Uh, Late for dinner is also in there. You've mentioned that. Yes. But yeah, yes. when we loved having you. Uh, yeah. You're excellent. You know, I, I, to this day, when I see a water scene in a movie, I, I look for bubbles. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I've, ru I've ruined it for so many. Oh, no, no, but, no. Uh, that's, that's, that's gold. Is uh, it salt water or, or fresh water? Yeah. And, uh, but, yeah, <laughs> right now, Josh and I are uh, contributing members of a throwback to the old days of classic radio. It's called 12 Chimes. It's Midnight. That's how Josh would say it. He's our announcer. Twelve James, it's midnight. And uh, again, yeah, it's a throwback to uh, the days of thrillers on the radio, Inner Sanctum and Lights Out. Jim, yeah, Jim, you're a big old-time radio yeah. buff, so oh, you yeah. know exactly Sus what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, suspense, any of the, you know, any things where they're, you're sponsored by a coal company or, a, or a, you know, some odd tobacco, <laughs> gold, <laughs> tobacco firm and uh, – 
you know, it's a transcribed adventure. Yes. Um, but yeah, it's uh, the only thing that I, I wish you had more of is uh, static. <laughs> Oh, I'll, needs needs more woo. You know, oh, that's a great touch. Slightly I will, off frequency. I'll mention but that it, to our our producer and creator, uh, our and Den Mother's the great Amy Pavi. She's. Uh, I'll mention to Amy that uh, she'll love the idea of static. We just recently, our most recent show was a live uh, broadcast of sorts. I mean, we recorded, we didn't actually broadcast it, but it was in front of a live audience at a little bookstore here in San Francisco, California. And I think we really did capture a little of that essence of a live show, but yeah, a little static, which uh, yeah. easy little, sound effect little. to add. Yeah. It's just, uh, just maybe at the beginning and at the end, you know, just in and out. It's, it's one of those things. It's the kind of a, it's kind of a show that if you're uh, laying down in your bed and it's dark and you've got a little uh, desktop radio park next to you with a large dial and that's the kind of that's the kind of uh, adventure it is so i, I can strongly recommend it but uh, are you going to be in um are you going to be at denver in our our get together unfortunately i i can't make it to denver uh that weekend a a good friend is getting married it's one of those uh. things but i i do hope the movies by minute conventions continue because uh it would be nice to actually see your lips move Ah, yeah. Likewise, it's uh, <laughs> it's always it's always fun for for folks listening in. Uh, we're talking about the uh, movies by minutes Denver uh, get together, which is going to be if you're listening to this before August eighteenth, twenty eighteen, it will be on August eighteenth, twenty eighteen, and uh, that's out in Denver. You can find us uh, online to get more information. Moviesbyminutes dot com slash Denver. Where can people find your uh, th- three so far? Uh, radio adventures yeah the usual spots itunes google play stitcher stature instagram and uh you know look for five minutes of trouble.com five minutes of bonsai.com and 12 chimes it's midnight.com the uh, 12 chimes just added its own personal website so you can check out ton of information there uh story story synopses cast bios all sorts of neat stuff like that. So, yeah, please do check out 12 Chimes. It's midnight. Mm, stuff worth filling up your iPhone for. <laughs> uh, well, for, for folks wanting to listen to previous episodes of our little show here, uh, you can find us always, as usual, Apollo13minute.com, Apollo13minute.com. You can find us uh, to talk back on Twitter, Apollo 13 Minute. You can find us on Facebook at the Apollo 13 Minute Mission Control. Uh, please, please look for us on iTunes and on uh, Google Play. If you are going to iTunes, please leave us a great uh, five-star plus uh, review because the more people find five-star plus reviews, the more we'll probably visit and listen and uh, help us impress other people we want to get on the show. So that's always appreciated. Um, it looks like we're coming up on uh, Lost the Signal in 30 seconds, so we will see you here tomorrow on the Apollo 13 Minute. Thank you.